0: We were terrible. I'm oh, still so one. I love it. Honey, lads. go sky's salmon again. Who paid for the nachos? Nor rain, nor
1: wind, nor snow. Classico. Fans of the Denver Broncos soccer team, <laughs> this is holding the highline with Rabbi in red. We are brought to you by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Revenge of the Fifth of May, 2022. Real Madrid are Real Undead as they defeated Manchester City in Champions League, setting up a rematch of the 2018 final with Liverpool. Seattle Sounders have broken the hoodoo of MLS playing in CONCACAF Champions League, and Andre Shin is still the 2019 MLS Rookie of the Year. I am joined now by a man who knows that this is the way, Rabbi Mark Goodman.
0: Matt, it's great to see you. For those of you, uh, very occasionally, I feel like you do such a deep cut into soccer nerdery that it needs to be annotated. So this is my annotation color commentary of your opening line, which is, you, Matt is referencing a People Magazine um, article, tweet, something article. about um, uh, Reese Witherspoon attending a Nashville uh, SC match, but they misidentified the club as Tennessee Titans soccer team FC or something like that. Um, and I, so I love being the Denver Broncos soccer team. Denver, Denver Broncos, <laughs> FC, SC, CT... SCLT or whatever.
1: <laughs> yes. No, but that was and just to be clear folks, this was literally this is the editor and then the writer at People magazine. This wasn't some dumb quote from Reese Witherspoon or some dumb tweet for her or anything. This is literally like this is random this is this is the New York Times wanting to like TMZ report on a celebrity doing something and then mixing up the
0: teams by accident. Like this is the it's this year's version of uh, asking Bastian Schweinsteiger if he's going to win the World Cup with Chicago Fire.
1: Yeah. That is that is <laughs> apropos on that mark, but um speaking of news that broke that was kind of a press release that is interesting and different and also I'm kind of confused Mark Uh, there was a joint press release by all of the teams and league uh, earlier this week that Major League Soccer has partnered with Socios.com S-O-C-I-O-S that comes from the Spanish word folks that refers to the fan membership ownership structure that you have in Spain. Uh, Google it if you want to Google like Socios Barcelona, Socios Real Madrid they'll talk about who owns those clubs and that stuff. Um, And so Socios.com has become the official fan loyalty partner of Major League Soccer and all 26 teams. Mark, um, at Major League Soccer, our emerging venture team is always looking for ways (laughs) to apply the latest technology to provide North America's young and most tech-savvy fans with new opportunities to become connected in a significant way to our players and clubs, said Chris Schlosser, the... MLS SVP of Emerging Ventures. We're excited to continue our progress approaching approach, our progressive approach to blockchain technology at MLS with socios.com. Joining forces with MLS to explore what the best iteration of our blockchain based fan engagement product will become truly exciting. Said Max Rabinovich uh, from socio.com. Uh, our partners are going to have far reaching positive impacts on our of evolution and shed light on what the socio's fan engagement universe on the blockchain can be as a whole MLS is a perfect home to begin the educational journey in North America Mark this is different this is new And, Mark, our NFTs is, like, fan crypto. Is this basically MLS trying to come up with their own version of, like, Fanatic Fan Cash? And how much did this just turn into a dud with every single club tweeting out the exact same thing, and then the fan base and Twitter going to town on
0: it in the snarkiest way possible? I don't know what Fanatic Fan Cash is, so you'll have to explain that in a minute. But I think... So my sense of this is very strange. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely not. It, and c- correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but but having read the the athletics take on it, because this uh, organization preceded uh, MLS by opening in Europe with uh, a couple teams in the EPL, but it seems like it's basically um, it, it's 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 crypto for for. Uh, for soccer teams, but it's very strange to ask the question. So crypto is hard to understand on its own because th- there's one aspect to crypto that sort of makes sense and then a whole bunch that don't, right? The part that makes sense about crypto is what if we could have currency that was harder to trace so that it didn't feel like um, it you know the, the, there was there were the appearing eyes of the government was looking over your shoulder. And another way of saying that about crypto is, Why do governments have to issue money when anyone can issue money? And that's kind of a legitimate thing. The problem with crypto, of course, is it's the so-called intrinsic value of it, right? Like, You and I agree that you can get – that if I give you a cup of – if I give you a dollar, you will give me a cup of coffee. But it becomes harder to say that when you hand me a Bitcoin, right? We assign a value to it and hopefully people will decide that the value stays. But of course, the way things are going with crypto, the value goes up and down. That gets a lot more complicated when you do it assigning it to a soccer team, right? So I buy a rapid buck, right? And Rapid Bucks apparently are supposed to go up and down in value based on how much other people think Rapid Bucks are worth. And then I go to the stadium and I spend Rapid Bucks on uh, a new kit. So the the analogy that I brought was the Pringles deal from last year, right? If you bought enough cans of Pringles, you got a $50 discount at the MLS store. But the situation that the Rapids are now in is... You can buy in on Socios coins or whatever, um, and right now, if you buy four Socios coins, you can get a brand new Jossi Zardes kit. But in eight weeks, depending on what everybody else does, either your Socios coins is going to be is going to go up in value, and you'll only need one Socios coin to buy a Jossi Zardes jersey or everyone will think this is stupid and it'll cost you 144 socios coins to buy Jossie's artist kit and you've just lost money you know what else we could do Matt we could just buy a Jossie's artist kit with money right so I don't understand how this works I don't understand why anyone would do it the only thing that the press release implied was you have a chance to win you know like special fan experiences by buying this socios coin you know how else I have an opportunity to um, experience a special fan experience by going to a game, you know, like the, the ball might come into the stands. Um, I might win an opportunity to get moved down to the cool seats by, by a pitch side. I remember when we were partial season ticket holders, we got a call from our ticket rep once um, to come down on the field for, um, for ups. This was before I was, I had a press pass. So like, there's no this thing is there's no there there is is the famous quote like I don't know what this is supposed to be and I don't know why anyone would think it's gonna be anything and I sort of feel last thing I'm I know long winded rant I'm sorry I, I I sort of wonder how MLS got bamboozled into this right it feels like crypto had kind of started to like turn that everyone had kind of decided like yeah crypto has some Some reasonable value, but like it's also kind of like moving past the Tamagotchi phase where we think that it's like the new hip fad and MLS kind of caught it on the backside and decided to go all in on it. What do you think? Fan tokens are finite digital
1: assets minted and secured (laughs) on the Ethereum blockchain. Holding fan tokens gives you the right to vote on official team polls to help your team make particular fan-related decisions. Token holders also benefit... From a host of fan perks with exclusive promotions, rewards, and experiences, and experience clubs with VIP rewards, promotions, games, and access to a community of superfans. Many elite sports teams already have partnered with socios.com to create the new way to engage with their fans. Fan tokens most popular teams include Arsenal, PSG, FC Barcelona, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, and Manchester City. Mark, I- is, are these – are there MLS fan tokens or are these specific? Because I can almost guarantee you Rapids fan tokens are going to be – their value is going to be as proportional to their – like the value of their club that Forbes puts out relative to Atlanta United.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to counter with a, a quote from the the Athletic article on this this whole Socios thing. Darren Epstein is a former Arsenal shareholder who is now closely engaged with the club hierarchy as a fan representative. He says, Arsenal token holders have been offered a hand handful of seemingly trivial polls and VIP competitions since the token launched last summer, including one poll that earned the club the unprecedented rebuke from the Advertising Standards Authority, right? You're not getting buying in. You're not buying in on the ability to decide whether we should sign Jossie Zardes. We're signing in on on like the decision whether to replace four chairs in the corner of section 117 with um uh, uh burgundy or blue seated chairs. Like there's it's I don't know, it's insane.
1: <laughs> Mark uh on Wednesday, Seattle Sounders. <laughs> won the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League final over Pumas in front of a sold-out, and I believe the largest crowd, question mark, in an MLS team's history. Certainly largest MLS team playing in Champions League history. Uh, They won that game by a score of 3-0. You know, there are other outlets and podcasts and Seattle-related things or MLS national media outlets that will cover that game in a greater landscape, but Mark, I think it's it's worth pointing out that now the Hoot is finally broken. I still didn't believe Mark, with it being 1-0 with Rui Diaz scoring on the most broken play in the 45th minute that Seattle was going to win this. They had to make two injury substitutions within the first half hour. Seattle was getting a bunch of chances and I'm just like, watch. Pumas is going to get a random break at the end of the half and everything and DiNeno the guy who scored the two goals for them and the first leg is going to score, and they're going to see this way out and everything, and I really I honestly didn't start to believe until Rui Diaz put that one in, in the 80th minute, and then finally I'm like, okay, I can I can open my, I can expose myself to some vulnerability of possibly that this is going to be the exact same nightmare that I've watched 15 times before and everything I'm going to believe, and then minutes later Nico Lodero scores the third one in there and I'm like, okay, this is it, so uh, this is an achievement for Major League league soccer i think it should be pointed out given how much i think people were i was definitely hashtag uh mls for seattle last year i was hashtag mls for the union or hashtag mls for philly basically if it's not rsl or lafc atlanta fans are kind of annoying most teams most historically in this tournament When there's one final MLS team standing, and I am all in for them like I was for Montreal Impact when they made the final whenever it was. Uh, So this is first and foremost an achievement of the Seattle Sounders. I think secondarily, less importantly, but still important, was that this was a victory for Major League Soccer, proving that one, that this was possible by actually doing it and also showing that it could be done in style. I think it was extremely fitting that Seattle did in the second leg at home what historically Liga MX teams have done to MLS teams when the second leg is back in Mexico and the first leg was indecisive from an an aggregate scoreline standpoint. So that was refreshing. But Mark, I think it's worth pointing out there's some people on Sounders Twitter, I chose to not engage on Twitter for much of it because I'm like, okay, this is getting annoying and a little bit too much. Yay, Seattle's, you know, the greatest team in the entire world. No, Real Madrid's the greatest team in the entire world at the moment folks in any case um i think it's worth pointing out this is by many metrics and to many pundits was the strongest group of mls teams to make it to the round of 16 talk to anyone in the media in the technical space um punditry down in mexico in this iteration of the tournament the round of 16 with the four mexican teams the four u.s based mls teams and the one Canadian-based MLS team, in that iteration of the round of 16 of the CONCA Champions League, this was the weakest pool of Mexican teams to qualify for Champions League. Pumas is regarded as, when it's only been one Liga MX opponent in the final, this was the weakest uh, this is the weakest team to be representing Liga MX against a non-Liga MX team in the iteration of this tournament. So, you know, this. So I, I don't think we should be saying that, you know, the Sounders absolutely had to run a gauntlet. Their first two rounds, they didn't even have to play a Liga MX team. They got two relatively soft ones. But the fact is they've done something that no other team in MLS was able to do, something that the Colorado Rapids have had two shots at, have not been able to do, something that RSL could not do in a final, something that Toronto FC could not do in a final, something that... um. Montreal Impact could not do in a final and I think that deserves to be that deserves to be highlighted that deserves to be celebrated this is probably the greatest trophy in the history of the club I'm not ready to call it proof that officially MLS is better than Liga MX it needs to happen more consistently and it needs to happen in scenarios and in years when the perception is that MLS is not fielding a good group Liga MX is fielding its strength Um, You know, and I think it's worth saying that I think there's still an argument in terms of teams to make the final from MLS. I think there's still an argument would that Toronto FC team in 2018 beat this Sounders team. I don't know that it's that obvious just because Seattle was able to do it against Pumas and Toronto FC got, you know, went, you know, 10 rounds in a heavyweight duel over 120 minutes plus penalties against Chivas, having already beaten Club America and Monterey on the way to get there, something that Seattle did not have to deal with. So this is not a Sounders dynasty. Uh, They've won three trophies in the last six years, each one three years apart from the next. This is the greatest trophy in Sounders history. This is, I would argue off the top of my head, at least third or fourth biggest trophy that an MLS team has ever won in terms of that. It's absolutely historic. It's fantastic. I'm happy to see it. Mark, um, and I think if this ends up being if they went all in on CCL and it ends up being that the Sounders end up missing the playoffs, given that they're below the red line at this very moment, I think Sounders fans would say that it's absolutely worth it.
0: I like the way I like the spin you put on it. I will I will say that I think it was a little more hype, a little more uh, a little more awesome then you kind of gave it credit for, although I think your, your categorization of the disbelief you had um, between minute 45 and minute 80, it was probably universal for MLS fans, which is basically if you've watched CCL finals before, you had the same feeling in your pit of the stomach, like, Oh, I've seen this story before. I know how this one ends. This one ends in the center square. is disappointment. The free space is uh, a letdown, right? Like, Um, and, you know, to that end, you guys all have to go online and check out a video of Andrew Wiebe trying to pop champagne and failing miserably. (laughs) It's really one of the better videos I've ever seen uh, in the Twitterverse. Um, but one of the wonderful things, uh, that you, you also mentioned here, Matt, was, and I never thought of it this way, and I really liked the way you said it, um, you framed it by by kind of pointing out that like in a, in a negative way, but I still think the way I'm going to spin it is a positive, which is it's not to take the fact that the Sounders won at all, but they didn't have to go through Chivas or Club America on the way. Um, they went through Pumas, who seemed to be a little bit weaker, um, does not take away from some of the remarkable matches that LAFC played, um, that Montreal played. Uh, or that Toronto played such fun um amazing matches you know i mean like um i will literally never forget um what i saw from Giovinco from uh Mavinga from um Drew Moore from Drew Moore all the guys from Toronto FC going down to Azteca and facing Club America in front of like a hundred thousand howling fans you know and 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 Giovinco uh, you know uh, looping it up there uh, beautifully and 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 just running it back beautifully in these amazing amazing games I mean you know it, it was just absolutely a remarkable experience for MLS back in the day. That being said, we stand on the shoulders of the Giants. They all built to this moment. Seattle got it done. Their fan base was out and loud. Um, and it was really remarkable. And it and it was really enjoyable. enjoyable and it felt like a, a real, like, kind of culmination. Um, and I think the timing was also great because it happened, as you kind of pointed out in your intro, on the same day. Uh, as the UEFA Champions League semifinal. So there's like this nice kind of culmination that uh, we're getting we're, you know that, that, so, that we're at the, the, the point in the soccer season when big things are happening, when um, teams are you know winning championships like Bayern Munich and being crowned and And so it felt like a, a, a coronation for the Seattle Sounders who, as we all know, invented soccer um, and that's insufferable and yet, Um, I'm really proud of them and I think it's really great. Yes, I would have loved it if it was the Colorado Rapids, but Matt and I, I'm, I think are pretty unified on the fact that there was no point in this season where we would have expected that the Colorado Rapids would have, you know, done a, done a single, a double or a treble. Maybe we could do a single, but a double or a treble didn't didn't seem in the cards considering that two weeks ago, we didn't have a designated player at all. Listeners, this past
1: Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids were victorious in their revenge of Pids giving a 2-0 victory (laughs) over the Portland Timbers. Both teams, Mark, came in absolutely walking wounded. Danny Wilson and Jack Price both out for the Burgundy and Blue. And then once again, Lucas Estevez coming off the bench for the Colorado Rapids. 4-3-3 on paper, Mark, is what internally was circulating throughout the press box. There were times where it looked a little empty-buckety, and I think ultimately ended up being a a 4-2-3-1 at times. Then ultimately at the end, I would argue it was a 5-3-1, given the Rapids were down to 10 men by the end of the game. And then obviously Portland Timbers dealing with their own injuries. Sebastian Blanco was not able to play in this game. We know what their record and what they are like as a club without him. And they were very much impotent in the final third. And defensively, they are a shell of themselves without Diego Chara. Diego Chara, however, is more reliable than the U.S. Postal Service. uh, And he was unavailable as well. And that left them exposed. Colorado Rapids get it going on set pieces, Mark. We'll start in the 20th minute where Lal Sububakar heads in a ball, a perfect corner. From Brian Acosta, who subbed in, who started in the replace of Jack Price. That goal, however, was called off by VAR when Armando Villarreal went to the monitor determining that Jonathan Lewis was offside. I'll have a pool reporter update for you in a little bit on that, folks. But then ten minutes later, crash bang, wallop. Diego Rubio, his annual direct free kick goal almost two days to the year since his goal back in Vancouver. Mark, absolutely fantastic, bent it over the wall, albeit a little bit benefiting from the fact that Lars Mabiala doesn't jump and the ball goes maybe two feet over his head. In any case, 1-0 at the near post there. Mark Anthony K had a chance to put the Rapids again ahead 2-0 in this game in the 37th minute off of a corner that took a couple deflections, was set off by Zardes, goes off the crossbar, and down a snake-bitten moment from Mac, but he would get revenge in the end on that. That play, however, was ruled offside, so it would not have counted. Made me really mark only two chances for the Portland Timbers really for me. And the first big one came uh, just before halftime when Laria chested down a really good ball from Yimichara, or excuse me, Diron Espria, uh, but ultimately it was saved by William Yarbrough. And then uh, things got interesting in the second half. Rabbi Jonathan Lewis with his first really big opportunity, saved by Ivichich in, in the 47th minute. Jossi Zardes with some nice little dancing footwork, having some fun with the right joystick on FIFA, if you will, narrowly missing the right side of the post after he creates his own shot. And then things get crazy in the 63rd minute when Diego Rubio comes lunging in. Reckless tackle, ball completely late on uh, Rasmussen, the outside back for the Portland Timbers. And Rubio is given his second yellow card. The Rapids are reduced to 10 men. Uh, Jonathan Lewis set up on a breakaway from Michael Barrios. He shoots right into the goalkeeper once again. And then in the 90th minute, plus five, Mark Marc-Anthony K set up from Michael Barrios, curling it past the goalkeeper and inside the far left post to make it 2-0, and the Rapids are out of dodge, down a man, up two goals, beating the Portland Timbers. In the words of Austin Trustee, they were motivated to go out there and kick their butts and kick their butts. They did. Rabbi, what was your favorite thing about this past Saturday when the Colorado Rapids and Diego Rubio had a wild night at the dick?
0: Well, my favorite thing you already mentioned, which is the goal that got called back on uh, Lalas Abubakar because I looked at it and it was like, oh my God, oh my God, because I immediately pulled it up. And the entire um, Holding the Highline Substack article I did a whole year ago in June of uh, 2021 about, which is entitled Loki's Toboggan. It was an identical play to that. It was literally identical. Unfortunate that it got called back because I just love a good Loki's Toboggan. It's literally... My favorite thing in the world. And I need to come up with names for the Lokis-Tabalian alternatives that we've also seen. That was my favorite thing. But um, the other thing I think it's notable, this is maybe a big thing or maybe not a big thing, but uh, I'll throw it in here anyways, was a lot of uh, Rapids fans on Twitter were arguing that uh, Armando Villarreal did not call this game very well, that the game was full of fouls um, and that the fouls were not consistently applied. That some stuff the Timbers got away with, that the Rapids did not get away with, um, that the second yellow card on Diego Rubio was not really worthy of a yellow card, which I think in Rubio getting in trouble and getting fined for not leaving the field of play, uh, Diego Rubio would have agreed with that sentiment from our fans. Uh, for me, when a game has this many fouls, it, and this game had a lot of fouls, it was, um, it was a physical game.
1: 21 fouls, I believe a 11 yellow cards, Mark, which is kind of you're talking about a two to one ratio on that and basically the equivalent of half the players, half the starting players getting yellows.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to me, like th- saying that some of the stuff, you know, was let go and then it gets called inconsistently. It- it's quibbling a little bit in the sense that like the ref called a lot of fouls, right? The fact that he didn't call every single foul or he didn't call it even tighter is is immaterial to me. I think the the I like this ref. I'm a little biased, I'll be honest. There's some guys who come on the field and I know from reputation that I think they're going to be f- fair um Villarreal's one of them uh Alan Kelly's one of them uh Ismail Elfath is one of them guys who generally get it right you know the, the inverse of this is when Baldomero Toledo steps onto the field I immediately go we're gonna get jobbed we're gonna get jobbed um a few other refs are like that um uh uh, uh Bazakos is another one who I don't necessarily uh, Kevin trust Stott. Kevin, stop for me. He's a little, yeah, he's a little trouble. Chris Penso I like very much. Storin Stoika, I like very much. Anyways, we could go on and on, but this is not um, holding the um, referee's line with Rabbi and and Red. But anyhow, um, yeah, so I thought the refereeing was, I thought that the game was was a little too physical and there was a lot of fouling. Um, But a a prescient comment from a fan that I did like was the question of whether... um, portland considering their injuries were a little bit floppity do you know whether they didn't just kind of like get both physical on the one end and fall down easily on the other end um in order to try and get out of dodge with uh, a point knowing that they were kind of against it without blanco and without um diego chara um you know, I think that that's an accurate assessment. And I also think that, like, this team just didn't look as strong without Diego Chara on the field. I mean, Chara knows how to foul. He knows he knows how to foul enough to get that first yellow card and not get a second. He knows how to do that. And he knows how to tackle enough, um, just enough to really frustrate the other team and stop them, but not enough to get himself into trouble. And you know he wasn't there and so i think that the timbers had to resort to a little bit of um hack a shack in order to kind of get through the game and they didn't you know ultimately did not pay off for them so um it's great for the rapids to break the duck you know they were 5 games without a win um portland's not right now one of the stronger teams in mls which takes us back if you go back our last two opponents that we beat were um Uh, Sporting Kansas City, who's not particularly strong. Um, And who was the team before that that we beat? It was another team that...
1: Atlanta, Mark, and with Joseph potentially, you know, going to be touch and go the rest of the season without Brad Guzon, I think it's a fair question if that's a playoff team. So you're talking about... You, you beat a team that had a crisis of confidence, a bunch of injuries, and is now going to be bad and lose. Sporting Kansas City, who might have their worst season under Peter Vermes since winning MLS Cup, yeah. and now an injured Portland Timbers where we know what their record is with and without Diego Chara. We know what the record is with and without Sebastian Blanco. They didn't have either of them in order to revenge. It had to be three points.
0: Yeah, and, and, and you know what? To some degree, Matt, um, this is soccer uh, in a long season, which is some teams are going to rise and some are going to sink. If you can feast on the bottom dwellers, um, you can pretty much ride that because we've we've been the bottom dwellers in both of our histories covering this team. Um, you can ride that to the playoffs. You know you can get a five, six, seven seed in the playoffs just by beating the bad teams in your division. Um, so keep the heat on, and the Rapids will be okay that way. But I think we want to see a little bit more quality out of this team. Um, we're going to need to get healthy, as you mentioned. We're going to need. Wilson back. We're going to need Price back, um, and we're going to need some of our younger players to emerge in order for us to definitely solidify, you know, a mid a mid table uh, or upper bracket uh, finish for the season.
1: Um, I want to talk about my good things, Mark. Let's start with Diego Rubio, uh, who obviously had a goal. Um, and, you know, it's kind of every single time there's a goal on a set piece. Somebody asks Robin Fraser, and he almost has like a built in script of like bullet point, the three or four things that he talks about with that. But I think fortunately, Mark, the fact this was a direct free kick, he instead of waxing poetic about Chris Sharpie, which we all love. We, we we yes, we'd like to hear him say that. We'd like to hear him talk about Chris Sharpie. Chris Sharpie is, you know, his approval rating amongst rapid Twitter has to be at least ninety-five percent. It could very well be a hundred percent. But instead he was just talking about Diego Rubio practicing that, the fact that he practices it with um dummies, the little mannequin, like like the ones that like are the bar that like you fork into the ground to have somebody stand in there. So he practices it with the wall, different angles, different approaches, and he hits a lot of those in training, according to Robin Fraser. And I don't think it was super surprising that ultimately he ended up hitting one this season and did it in a moment where it was needed and critical and so I think that was really important for momentum because I think the Rapids were obviously frustrated uh, about what happened with the VAR call and this immediately put them back on the front foot and the immediate benefit that you have against the Portland Timbers, especially the way they play and especially the way they play against the Rapids at altitude is unlike in the playoff game, you score early you immediately change the game state and it plays into your hands and makes it way, way easier. Um, I want to talk about Brian Acosta, who I thought was absolutely fantastic in the midfield. I thought he covered space really well. I thought he was decent in terms of his build up play and everything. And it was to the point where every couple of minutes I would notice Acosta do something that I was like, ooh, that was really good. Ooh, that was really good. And by the end of the 90 minutes mark, even though they the Rapids were down a man for, you know, 30 minutes plus what, an extra five for the stoppage time. I, I didn't even I wasn't even missing Jack Price, as crazy as that is to say, because he was good on set pieces and he was good from the run of play. And I think he worked so hard in a way that freed up Mark Anthony K to do some of what makes Mark Anthony K the best that he's capable of. And in that, I thought it was vindicating for K to get his goal at the end and vindicating for Michael Barrios, who I thought was fantastic in transition off the bench as well. It was really good. Uh, K got team of the week honors for those of you who did not see that as well. And then Austin Trusty, Mark, I think right after the red card, there's a bit of a foul when uh, they go when he and the Portland Timbers goalkeeper go up for a ball that ends up getting uh, put over the crossbar, and they kind of get up. And uh, Ivacic didn't particularly care for that, and Austin Trusty <laughs> doesn't, you know, doesn't stand there and take it. And they literally butt heads, and they have to get separated. And I thought that revved them up. I think the Rapids fed into they, they came out with fire in their bellies because of what that team meant to them in terms of ending their season. You know, Austin Trustee talked about it. You know, the pain from that loss on Thanksgiving still hurts for a lot of these players. Jossie Artist was asked about it. Post game, and he said, "Yeah, we wanted to beat these guys because they beat us in the playoffs." Like Zardis is already mad; he already has beef with the teams that he hasn't played yet with the Rapids because of what his teammates had talked about. This team came in salty, and they came in pissed off, and they came in ready to kick the the Portland Timbers butts on the score sheet and literally kick their butts. And was it worth the red card and beating them despite being down a man for 30 minutes other than not having Diego Rubio uh on Saturday? Oh overall I, I would say yes. Uh
0: Mark, bad things. Bad things? Um I don't know. They they definitely um there wasn't a whole lot of bad in this game I felt like they controlled tempo nicely um, I think there were moments of of uh, of of uh defensive um, lapses but very minor ones I don't know I don't know if I really had anything bad here I mean I think the only bad thing is our fans continue to complain about the food at dicks um, and that's that's continuing to worry me. Um, because it also, we've moved past the point where we've identified the problem. We're moving into the point where we're starting to worry that the team doesn't care that, that fans keep complaining that the food at Dick's is not very good. So I guess I don't have really a bad thing. Do you have a bad thing, Matt? Uh, well, I mean, a bad thing about the game, not necessarily a bad thing
1: from specifically a Rapids context, you kind of already <laughs> mentioned it, you know, just Armando Real came out, and yeah, things get heated in second halves, so, you know, it's almost a, you know, second halves come out, and I almost have a question, based on the ref and the game state and what's going on, at what point do things come to a boil, and then that ref gets card happy? As we've mentioned, Mark, you know, Baldomero, Toledo, uh, you know, Kevin Stott, they get card happy, like, 50th minute, and then Ishmael Elfath or, say, an Alan Kelly might not get card happy until the 80th minute. Armando Villarreal woke up on Saturday morning and chose yellow cards, and that was kind of frustrating because, you know, he starts calling these sticky tack fouls. You know, um, let me look it up when the actual. Um, when the first yellow cards happened. I believe the first one, you know, Max gets one that was a little ticky-tack in the 17th. You have Mabiala, who gets called for a yellow card in the 29th. That set up the Diego Rubio goal. Was it a foul? Yes, was the yellow card and borderline for me. But then Williamson comes in, and he starts arguing. He gets a yellow card for dissent. And then so at that point, once you kind of set that precedent a half hour in, you want to call the game consistently throughout the 90 and that just forced more tiki tack fouls was frustrated more players who were called for committing the fouls who then got further frustrated it amped things up and then eventually everybody was going to get reckless and so in that regard I'm not surprised that somebody did something reckless and thoughtless in a moment that ultimately put the The officials in a position to make a difficult decision. I don't think there's any question based on the consistency of how the officials called it that those were two yellow cards for Diego Rubio. But I guess it's it's frustrating for me. Because we've seen situations like this, and for the most part in those situations, the Rapids don't necessarily calm down, they don't settle down, they don't adjust, or at least historically they haven't adjusted to it. If anything, they go off the rails, they get moiling up, and they can get amped up and really conk a in in ways that sometimes it works for them, sometimes they get a bunch of yellow cards, sometimes they commit a bad mistake, sometimes they uh, commit a penalty and ultimately ends up costing them, it would have nice... T- It would have been nice to see them kind of adjust to that, understand what the official's doing and either adjust the game plan or how they're going about tackling either individually or collectively to be a little bit better. So um, I had an issue with the initial premise of how the game was officiated because it had no flow. But once that's the standard and look, the number one thing that we care about with officiating is we care about them being consistent more than we care about them being consistent fair in terms of the calling it how everybody else calls it or just calling fouls both ways between the two teams. But once you kind of have that premise, I don't have much an argument that both of those fouls by Diego Rubio were yellow cards and certainly that second one was a yellow card. But uh Mark, let's uh get into it. Um I want to pull up the email that I kindly got from the league regarding my pool reporter question.
0: Best pool reporter in the history of Major League Soccer, folks. Matt takes pool reporting more seriously than any other pool reporter in all of the league. In fact, that's mostly probably because most of the other reporters don't know what the pool is, don't know if they're allowed to ask questions, and don't know that they are the pool reporter for their team. Um, hit it! Hit it, Matt. <laughs> I, I treat this—I treat take
1: speaking truth to power when it comes to the Rapids and MLS folks like it's the Pentagon player. So in any case, I asked—so um, here's my actual question. So in the 20th minute, Lallis Abubakar appears to score on a play that was ultimately ruled offside. It was clear from the replay that Jonathan Lewis was in an offside position at the time of the header by Abubakar. What aspect of Lewis on the play, his positioning relative to the Portland goalkeeper, contact with the goalkeeper, etc., made him involved— actively in the play for the offsides to be called. I'm wondering if this is an application of indirect offside. For those who don't know, folks, uh, there is a scenario where you can be offside, not directly involved with the play in terms of contacting another player, making contact with the ball that is referred to as indirect offside. Had Jonathan Lewis not made physical contact with the goalkeeper, but been in a position to where it's deemed subjectively by the officiating that he was affecting how the goalkeeper had to play it such that the ball went in. So treat it as if Lewis is cheating towards the left post and then the goalkeeper has to go towards that, anticipating that the pass is going to be to Lewis at the left post. And then that leaves opportunity for the player with the ball to shoot at the right post into a wide open net. And Lewis is doing that from an offside position. That could be an application of indirect offsides. Fascinating thing. uh, One thing that I'm super interested in from an officiating standpoint, Mark, I just really wanted to get a, clear-cut answer to know that it wasn't, whether or not it was subjective, and then how ultimately was that determined. So here's the response that I got. Colorado Rapids player Jonathan Lewis was in an offside position when Lal Sububakar headed the ball forward, and Mr. Lewis's proximity to the goalkeeper and physical contact with the goalkeeper meant that he was guilty of the offside Uh, of the offense of offside, interviewing with an opponent. If you look pretty quickly, folks, um, Jonathan Lewis is almost boxing out. Ivicic initially on the run-up to it. I think if Lewis is not there, I think there's a decent chance the goalkeeper at the very least challenges Abubakar for the ball in the air. Whether or not he gets there first or wins the ball, Um, I'm not sure. In any case, so there's contact before on the run-up to the play, and then Lewis pretty clearly stomps on the foot of Ivicic right as he's going to jump up in the air to try and make the save and react to Abubakar's header. No indirect offsides. Mark, I know a lot of people on Twitter were upset about it. This was clearly offsides. VR got it right, and I'm happy about it. Nice. Uh, last thing, uh, I don't have any other big uh, – I don't know that we said it explicitly, Mark, but just – this was the Portland Timbers. They were in a crisis state. This was a – given how Brian Acosta played – given what the team was able to look like offensively in this game, this was as gimme of a game as the Charlotte game should have been. So I would say this is something for them to build on, but I don't know that this would have been the same situation if you were playing New York City FC, um, or the Philadelphia Union or something like that. So good result, a needed result given the opponent and everything. But you know, let's uh let's take the the state of what the opponent was dealing with into account in terms of saying this wasn't like the rapids you know smash somebody seven nil or anything rabbi any big things
0: no i think uh getting breaking the duck is the big thing but we should move forward as a team and start to think about um you know who we are and and what we represent whether we just as i said before feeding off the bottom to kind of cruise to a mid-table finish or whether we're going to be a good team this year
1: uh, mark, let's, let's talk about Diego Rubio getting fined, shall we? <laughs> um, so, uh, Diego Rubio uh, tweets uh, after, almost immediately after the game, uh, that was the two worst yellow cards that I got in my entire life, played already 12 years. Uh, both of those sentences were with exclamation marks, I should point out, folks. Uh, if, at, if the at MLS doesn't do anything about this, it will continue to happen, and then mark in the standard press release that, you know, I and many others get um, from MLS about the Disciplinary Committee's uh, weekly decisions, Diego Rubio was fined an undisclosed amount for uh, not leaving the field in an orderly or in a prompt manner. He did exit the actual white lines but then came back to yell at the um or to have a conversation with the fourth official, had some drawing, uh just verbal with Team Portland bench before finally leaving the field. Was that a little bit harsh in terms of how I've seen when other players have normally been fined for that and how slowly they go about exiting the field? Maybe a little bit and for those wondering folks, this wasn't uh this wasn't uh the MLS disco going about like you know, covertly trying to find him for that tweet that I believe is still up for, you know, at Diego Rubio underscore. Um, MLS has, uh, the Disco has fined players in the past and publicly stated that it was for public statements either in the media or on social media in terms of dissent or violating the league's social media policy or something like that. So um, the fact that they said that it was for exiting the field means that it was for that and not for the tweet. There's been reporting... On this in the past, nothing really concrete that those fines are typically, depending on the offense and the offender, and whether or not it's repeats, somewhere between $100 and $500 for really bad repeat offenders, you know, like Nigel Jong breaking Darlington Ting Nagby's ankles. Mm. Um, there's been reporting that those fines could be upwards of a $1,000. Mark, I would be shocked if this fun. Um, potentially, like, for, like, really, really bad, like, the worst, like, Jermaine Jones with the New England Revolution, like, almost tackling unofficial after, you know, not getting a call his way, maybe, um, uh, maybe Clint Dempsey ripping up the- No, my only um, question was
0: on the amount. You said a thousand. I was like, a thousand's not a lot. You mean-
1: A uh, thousand in terms of, like, being the upper bound for what these fines can be. I would imagine that Diego Rubio' fine is somewhere in the low hundreds of dollars. Um, wow. So- that was kind of it I Um, thought it should be a lot higher than that no? Like I don't, Mark, there's there's still guys like only making like sixty five k in this league. Like hundred bucks can be a lot I to guess. people. Fair point. Okay. Um, in any case, kind of the big thing for me, Mark, was I think uh, Robin Frazier said the word commitment. I think about fifteen times in the post game media availability, and he just commented on how just the the commitment to the way that they were going to play and the circumstances that they were in with injuries and what they were trying to do, and then that was even compounded more in the second half with the. Uh, with this ending off and the fact that they doubled down on that uh, with all of those things going on and they were able to get the 2-0 victory. I think that was extremely satisfying and absolutely deserving from the scoreline matching what the performance and the gap between the two teams would. Anything else that we want to say about this, Rabbi, or shall we move on?
0: Let's keep going to talk about the next uh, next thing on our agenda, Matt.
1: Uh, so, Mark, we have an Ask HTHL from Matthew Schmeiman who asks, At Rapids96 Podcast, besides the new GeoDisc Park, uh, that's the new stadium for Nashville SC folks, um, are there any other stadiums that the Rapids have the chance to conquer for the first time this season with an away win? Hashtag Ask Matt, the remaining schedule for the Colorado Rapids on the road in MLS will be at San Jose, Kansas City, NYCFC, Portland Timbers, Real Salt Lake, Seattle Sounders, New York Red Bulls, Vancouver Whitecaps, Philadelphia Union. Geodis Park. They'll be playing Nashville SC in the um, uh, in the uh, Gary Smith Bowl on August 31st, then finishing out with DC United, and then their final two road games of the season will be at LA Galaxy and at Austin FC. Of those stadia, Matthew, the only two that the Colorado Rapids have never won at are Geodis Park, which obviously they've never actually played at, Mark. They've never actually played Nashville SC in their MLS iteration yet because of the situation with the Pan- Pandemic and then how uh, Nashville has been in the Eastern Conference. So they haven't had an opportunity to beat them. Uh, and then the only other one right now on the list, Matthew, would be NYCFC, which I assume is probably going to be at Yankee Stadium, but it might technically be their first opportunity to, I don't know, conquer... Uh, Red Bull Arena against not the Red Bulls, uh, that college stadium in Connecticut that I can't remember the name of, or City Field in the Queens, New York. But in any case, the Colorado Rapids have never beaten New York City FC um, in the five boroughs in the tri-state area. I should say that's the only other one. Mark, off the top of my head, I believe the only other teams at MLS that the Rapids do not have an away win of some form on in all competitions are Inter-Miami, who I don't believe they've played on the road yet. So an asterisk on that, an asterisk for Charlotte, who obviously they will not play this season, at least not at uh, the Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the only other two of existing MLS stadia they have played in and not been victorious in are Orlando City, Exploria, Field Exploria Stadium, and then the Bank of California Stadium, which they already lost to on that. So uh, listeners, we will see whether or not the Colorado Rapids, either on the 19th of June against NYCFC or on the 31st of August at Geodis Park in Nashville, um, wearing their mint green 14ers kit can have the little sign that says Geodis Park or Yankee Stadium saying that they've conquered it for the first time and add that to the proverbial Colorado Rapids 14er away days um, signage list. That, Or at least I hope those things end up on a wall somewhere and like don't just get like recycled You know, or thrown out in the um, in the away locker room, or anything like that. But Lark, let's move on. Uh, We have said goodbye to a Burgundy boy, Andre Shinashiki, the 2019 MLS Rookie of the Year. Uh, Traded him to expansion side Charlotte FC. That was for 225k in guaranteed general allocation money for 2022 and then there's certain incentives that could also increase that up to 400k so an additional incentives worth up to uh, 175k in general allocation money again listeners those are typically number of matches played number of minutes played goals um games played maybe whether or not the team makes the playoffs whether or not the player resigns with the team those are the kind of things that would potentially add up to make it ultimately 400k uh Mark Andre Shinoshiki's final line for 20 22 With the Rapids, 212 minutes played, eight games played, two starts, and just the one goal that was in garbage time against Atlanta United. Mark, I think we'll always remember Andre Shinoshiki fondly because of how he came to the Rapids, being traded up for on draft day to select him. The fact that he comes to the Rapids from... The University of Denver, what he was able to do with the Timber Pioneers in that magical senior season, and how he was one of the bright spots during that very up and down and topsy turvy 2019 campaign where he comes on, scores in stoppage time at Snow Classico. Three against the Portland Timbers down a man to get a 3-3 draw in there. A number of other big goals, seven goals, three assists, deservingly rookie of the year. He was a hardworking player. Um, He was ultimately a guy who never really got, I think, a fair shake or an opportunity to play his natural position as a false nine channel running striker. Um, But he never really complained. He was a hardworking player. He was one of the dogs, as he said, in as he said multiple times in the locker room. And the fact that he was good at other things, the fact that he was quintessentially a Rapids player in terms of being hardworking, unremarkable, and humble, fit him into other roles in terms of at times being a serviceable wide player and also at times working as a midfielder. Because one of the things that Jamie Frank really um, complimented and loved about him. At DU is that he was really good pressing. He was a good defensive work rate striker. He's the opposite of what Cristiano Ronaldo has been at the, you know, at the club formerly known as Manchester United. And that made him, ironically, or almost fittingly, a good option at a destroying number eight role or at the very least in a wide role where he would track back sometimes all the way into the defensive third to allow Sam Bynes to do his attacking thing and be a very good miserable to play against defensive attacking player
0: yeah I I think you really covered a lot of the important things about uh, Shin Yashiki I think um, there's another aspect which I I did a a podcast earlier today for the um, Quake's Epicenter with um jay moore and um one of the things that uh i said on that podcast was that like he he tracks very closely to chris wandolowski in that he's a late developing player out of college like wandolowski um he's a fox in the box thomas muller pop-up striker type guy who's gonna arrive late and that's gonna be his his best asset but in the Rapids, um, system, he never really had a chance to do that. Like the Colorado Rapids have always wanted a striker who could pound a ball home with his head or create with their feet from outside of the box, um, or was really, really good on set pieces, even if it wasn't whipped by rising up and heading at home. So, um, th- that meant that he didn't have as many opportunities to score, um, in the system, you know, because the Rapids, um, you know, like have always, they they kind of already had that guy to some degree in Diego Rubio. Um, Rubio, a little bit more dribbly, a little bit more um, right-footed, also, um, and and maybe even a little bit more filthy in the dribble um, than Shin Yashiki. I think Shinichiki was uh, never quite found exactly the best best role for himself with this team. I wonder whether he will at Charlotte. Uh, I wonder whether that's gonna be a place where he'll fit in better as like a guy off the bench in the 70th minute to get the game winning goal. I wonder if his kind of profile in professional soccer has been set and it's a good one, which is um, to be like a, a late option who has a, a, and, a and a sometime starter. Who will get you five to eight goals a season, but is not going to be the the main breadwinner for the club, and is never going to have like a a golden boot winning season. Um, I think that that's that's totally fine. You know, a lot of good soccer players have carved out long, healthy careers in this league um, without necessarily being the most important guy, the most famous name. Um, you know, being, being a guy, as you mentioned it, Matt, who is a forward-pressing striker, who is really good defensively in kind of like um, counter-pressing or pressing uh, in the opposition final third, it, that's a really, really g- valuable little skill that um, if you get known for that in this league, I think a lot of GMs and managers will say, that's a guy I want on my team, even if I'm not willing to give him DP money or... Tam Gam money for it. And so I wish him well. I think he's going to have a fairly long and fairly successful career in MLS, even if um, he never gets invited to an All-Star game or makes a whole lot of Team of the Weeks.
1: Yeah, I think that's all really well said, Mark. I think to your point, kind of the question of where he fits in with Charlotte, um, you know, the coaching staff has pointed out that they really value versatility. So somebody who can play in a couple of different roles, start in one position, they can make a substitution for another player, and then change the shape or change personnel around where they can fit in is something that they value. I've also noticed, even though they've been at times a diamond team, at times a 4-1, 3-2. Four one three two. They they're a relatively narrow team. So the fact that you have somebody who either from a central role can give you within stretching out, we've seen that from Shinichiki as a false nine with the Rapids, and then we've also seen it where he's played in one of the two wide roles in a four two three one. might be something that's also valuable. I also don't know that Rios, their underneath striker guy Daniel Rios, has been super impressive. He's got one assist in. Uh, no goals in
0: 500, almost 600 minutes now. Which is roughly what he was like in Nashville, too, which is like all promise and no delivery.
1: Yeah, and so you compare that with, you know, Swinderski's banging in goals, They're big Polish DP and everything, and so if he's going to be the starting, if he's going to be the main goal scorer, if he's going to be the target striker, the hold-up player and everything, if Ortiz is going to play underneath them and everything, you know, having another guy who's withdrawn can give you another advantage to the midfield. Having a guy who can either play out wide or start out wide and then move out wide can be something that's valuable. And then maybe a little bit more of a channel runner, similar to Alcivar, out of the midfield, I think will also be valuable. So look, he's a a different piece on the proverbial uh uh Carolina Swiss Army knife that they now have to where I think he's going to be given an opportunity I just I think the thing that's really unfortunate is he came onto the team and you know it was it was obviously Kaikamara and then Diego Rubia but he was actually getting opportunities and I don't know that the team is going to play with two central strikers in a three five two, five three two, or a four-two-three-one setup where Shinyashiki was gonna get a lot of minutes. Cause I think if they're playing with those two, I think Shinyashiki and Rubio are too similar from each other, so you'd have Zardes as a Snarter, and then you would have Shin Yashiki as the backup to Rubio in that scenario, and then if something's happened to Zardes, or you're only playing with one striker, then Shin Yashiki, I think at best, is coming on for Rubio to do the exact same thing, or possibly he is on the bench next to Rubio waiting to get subbed on if something happens to Zardes, and then something happens to Rubio, and as we've seen from him in a wide role, he has, he's been serviceable at times, he hasn't been as effective, and so the thing that kind of makes me a little bit upset is that we saw that goal production seven goals three assists in his rookie season mostly playing in his natural position in a formation that actually suited him and he's never really gotten that sense so yes his production's gone down you know yes i think it was four goals two assists and then four goals one assist um in 20 in 2, in two 2020 and then 2021 Respectively, but that was in a completely different position. If he's playing most of his time, you know, as a withdrawn player or a wide player, his goal production is going to go down. So we'll see what opportunities he gets. But I think your point, Mark, that maybe what he's done with the Rapids and where clearly his ceiling is and the fact that the position that he's best at is the position where MLS teams spend the most money means that he might have to pivot and do other things. And he's proven that he's willing to play at the eight and track back and work really hard defensively and press. And that unfortunately might have to be his future, which is kind of disappointing given the promise that you think you would have had given what he did his senior year. And you compare that to going to a team where he's drafted specifically for a need with a coach that believes him that is going to entirely play him in that natural position. If we're talking about guys, Mark, who had hype coming out of very good final seasons where they moved up in the draft and got in that situation, the immediate parallel, um, you know, I have is Daryl DK. And I'm not saying that Andre Shinoshiki would have been sold to a championship club where Connor Casey is still the head coach to the rapids and playing rubio and Shinyashiki up top or anything but you just saw the opportunities that dk had at least just in an mls context europe and loans and national team notwithstanding and chinyashiki hasn't really gotten that basically since robin Fraser took over mark moving on this coming saturday at paypal park san jose earthquake stadium i can't remember what it's called anymore Hmm. Uh, at 8 p.m. on Saturday, the Colorado Rapids will be playing the mess and the dysfunction that is the chaotic San Jose Earthquakes. We are currently 9-34s through the 2022 Colorado Rapids season. Uh, they are sitting in eighth in the Western Conference, one spot below the playoffs. They have 12 points off of nine games played, an even record of 3-3-3. Three, three, and three. They have a neutral goal difference and away from DSG this season. They have zero wins, three losses, and one tie. San Jose Earthquakes. Bottom of the barrel, 13th in the Western Conference, six points off of nine games played, one, five, and three. That one win was against the Seattle Sounders in a chaotic comeback after Seattle still had a hangover from CCL. They have a goal difference of negative eight. And in the Bay Area this season, they have one win, one loss, and three ties. Uh, Mark Matias-Almeida was the head coach of the San Jose Earthquakes when the season started. He is now left by mutual ascent uh, after basically kind of trying to force his way into getting fired by not doing basic procedural rules like talking to the media. When he was talking to the media, he was pretty snarky. He was basically taking jabs tongue-in-cheek at his ownership, very Chandler Bing-esque. Um, Jeremy Bobasin was their big striker acquisition over from Portland last season. Uh Jackson Ewell is basically a poor man's version of Kellen Acosta. They've acquired Jan Gregus and Eric Rometty from other MLS teams. Christian Espinosa is kind of their main central midfielder guy and everything. Um Francisco Calvo is his is at his worst right now at the center back position. Um and they basically got a rotating cast at the fullback positions. Uh Marcus, this is a team that went out and lost to New York City FC, and City basically came out and were sleepwalking through the first half of that game on Sunday at Yankee Stadium and scored three goals between the 74th and the 88th minute. Mark, this is a bad team. This (laughs) is a chaotic team. This is a team that you never, bet on because of how bad they are this is also a team that you never bet against because goonies and chaos and never say die and they can just 90 minutes of intensity their way to getting a random result out of nowhere that being said given where this team is probably going to be at the end of the season given where this roster is and given that other teams will comfortably beat them for me mark this needs to be and will be three points on saturday
0: i agree uh, I like Jan Gregus a lot. I think he's a really great player who had a really off year. I wrote as much at the beginning of the season when I was doing my previews. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, Alex Covello, who is subbing in as the, um, as the manager for as long as he can, uh, has his work cut out from him coming out of the man marking scheme that they were in before and coming up with this four one four one and seeing if it's going to work. Um, He may keep mixing and matching and playing around. Um, They do have my favorite two of my favorite players of all time. um, Tommy Thompson, who used to be kind of a wing, uh, you know, number 10 and has now been transitioned into being a fullback and Shea Salinas, who is kind of an ageless wonder. He's like the new version of Wondolowski. Salinas is 35 years old. Um, He primarily plays as a left wing sub off the bench after like 70 minutes. Um, But the dude just does things. Um, He has no joke, Matt. This is like, sounds like a made up number, but it's, it's true. 291 matches for the San Jose earthquakes. Um, He played 17 games Sorry, I take that back. He has 291 from 2011 to now, but he also played at the very beginning of his career, another 46 matches. So he's well over 300 and on his way to 350 for San Jose. Um, uh, Yeah, he played 30 games for the Caps and 17 for Philly Union. I just really like Shea Salinas. I don't really have much to say here. But yeah, this team is really weak. Um, Full of players who um, were kind of like, I think the the general manager was like, we can't actually afford somebody good, but we'll get somebody who is um, available and roughly at the cap space um, that we can hit. Um, Last thing to note uh, is Cade Cowell, who kind of blew up at the beginning of last year, um, and he's been a little bit more quiet and unnoticeable. To date, um, he's 18 years old. He mostly plays left wing, although they play him as striker sometime too. Um, I wonder if Jeremy Ibobasi has kind of like not been a guy who plays well off him, or whether it's more about the formation or what it is. Um, I'm not really sure. Last thing to note is um, JT Mark uh, Marcinkowski is a, is a lovely uh, goalkeeper. He's kind of one of these guys who uh, is an up and comer, and I think in three to five years might be in the conversation for being in the USMNT player pool um, if he continues to develop along that curve. Um, You know, uh, really great goalkeepers don't really kind of Come out until later in their careers, sometimes. Um, but you know, I mean, people are giving a shout right now for Stefan Fry to get back into the USMNT player pool. But you know, that's recency bias for sure. For sure. So yeah, definitely, the Rapids need to get three points off one of these bottom feeders. Um, they need to show this team who's boss. Um, but it is an away game, and so I think that 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 poses some some problems for the Pids.
1: Interim head coach uh, Alex Cavello has definitely changed what they're trying to do, folks. Uh, forget the man marking that we saw under... Matias Almeida, they've come out in a flat four four two Um, last week against City, they came out in a 4-1-4-1, 4-1. I would imagine much more old school MLS 2.0 tactics from San Jose, they're going to be comfortable in transition, they're going to have numbers back behind the ball um, there's going to be blocks of 4, and they're just going to gum it up and try to out-effort what the opponent is trying to do tactically, in that they're kind of right for the taking mark, they haven't been great on set pieces you know, whoever individually is matched up against Christian Espinosa, depending on where he is in the field, make sure that you ultimately deal with him. Francisco Calvo's bad, I think, with no Diego Rubio. I think that probably sets it up. Um, I don't know if you'd go 4-3-3 here, Mark, because then you'd have Luis and Barrios probably on the wings and anything. But in any case, the, this center back pairing is right for leaving space open and just little half spaces and little mistakes that veteran st- a veteran striker should be able to take care of. I would not... Put it, I I would say it's d- highly possible that Jossie artist opens up his Rapids account on the weekend given those opportunities. We've seen the team gradually improve on set pieces. Jack Price was listed as questionable. Danny Wilson was listed as questionable on the um on the injury updates that we got midweek as well. Either way, I think the Rapids are going to be extremely effective and get opportunities on set pieces. I think it's really just. Don't make a mistake and then immediately gets punished. Deal with Christian Espinoza in the midfield and don't leave Jeremy Obobese in five yards of open space. I think even without Jack Price and Danny Wilson, they should be able to handle that defensively. And it's just a matter of are they able to score? Does that change the game state for San Jose where they have to adjust instead of playing on the counter and everything? Or do we see San Jose try to confuse the Rapids by saying, okay, if we give them the first goal, then we go into man marking. Um, In which case then it's all about just creating space and separation. We've seen the Rapids be able to do that. Michael Barrios has done that. Jonathan Lewis has done that. If Lucas Estevez is over um, the little injury that's kept him out of the starting lineup, he should be able to take care of that. Um, And the only other thing that I'm kind of looking for, Mark, I think it's a fair question. Will this be Steven Bateshire's final match against the San Jose Earthquakes or certainly his final game at the San Jose Earthquakes, a club that is near and dear to his heart, a club that obviously still very much cares about him and thinks of him fondly in terms of his time? I don't know that he's playing. Beyond this season, to be honest, and I think in that it's probably an opportunity for him to get recognized, maybe even at least informally going over and clapping the ultras um, during warm-ups or after the game um, as well. Um, and we've seen Beta be extremely effective against his former teams, so um, we'll see what he's able to do in a wide role because he's he's really put in some good couple shifts there, Mark. Like, he is non-man-bun uh, Mark Birch there on the left side as kind of just old man, get-the-job-done FC there um in the left back position rabbi anything else we want
0: to say about this or shall we get out of here let's go baby folks uh, our sponsors are roughneck scars and icarus fc if you need a kit for any purpose uh, and you would like something custom and handmade and with a unique color with a unique design with a unique collar, um icarus fc is your way to go if you'd like a scarf for your supporters group, uh, for your big boys away trip, maybe you're having a golf outing and you wanted, always wanted to make scarves for it. Big birthday party, huge anniversary. Think about it. Uh, Roughneck Scarves is the way to go. You can hit them up on the interwebs. Speaking of the interwebs, Matt is our interwebs master. He knows where you can find all of our written content. Uh, and how to get in t- contact with the show or find us on the Twitter sphere. Matt, tell them how to do it.
1: Listeners, you can follow us individually on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi and at LWS Matt Pollard. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Rapids Ninety Six Podcast. Check out all of our written content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer. Holding the highline at substack.com and Pittsburgh Soccer now at our Substack. That's where you can subscribe to us via email, view us in web form, become a paid highliner, five bucks a month or forty-two bucks for the year to help support the media empire that is growing here at HTHL. If you want to get in touch in long form, Rapids96Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to ask us a question on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskHTHL or tag us. And if we bring further monetary value to your life in addition to our Substack, you can also support us with a single cast donation at our Patreon, patreon.com backslash rapids96podcast. Or head on over to the Denver Post for a really good deal on all of their digital sports content, denverpost.com backslash hthl. As obviously they are swimming in avalanche content as currently now, Mark, it is. During a commercial, so I don't know if it's 1-1 or if it's into the third period, yet in game two of the Avs taking on the Nashville Predators. In any case, listeners, we'll see you next week.